If you are joining us on the podcast, good morning and welcome. This is the where we drop you in. So uh, good morning. And we're going to do the roundtable together. Karina's given us a question to set us up ahead of, uh, ahead of um, her message. So let me just find that for you. What does the word oath mean to you? Does the word feel like freedom or restriction? <laughs> I was like, okay, good question. I'm going to blah, blah, blah for a few seconds, just so you have some thinking time. What does the word oath mean to you? I looked this up in the dictionary. I know it says, what does the word oath mean to you? But I was like, well, what does the word oath mean to everybody? So in the dictionary, it says a solemn, usually formal calling upon God or a God to witness to the truth of what one says or to witness that one sincerely intends to do what one says. And this one, a solemn attestation to the truth or inviability of one's words. I love how the dictionary makes you use the dictionary to discover what the dictionary means. Um, so to me, the word oath feels serious, something not to mess with, um, nothing, something not to be broken or dishonored and used on really rare occasions. So is that a freedom or a restriction? I don't know. It depends what it's to. Am I making it because I want to or because I have to? I feel like maybe it's putting boundaries in for myself on something. The only occasion I can think of where I made an oath was actually when I did my Canadian citizenship about seven years ago. The boundary I created around myself was stepping into the oath of behaving acceptably as a Canadian, because this was the first year they said that if you break this, then we're going to take it away from you. I'm like, okay, that's quite serious. All right, then. So I will behave acceptably as a Canadian. Um, the oath kind of adds weight to it. That's more than me just saying it. I feel like oaths are, oaths are made when you want to underline, I promise. It's like, you know, if you want to say it in bold with capital letters, um, that you take an oath. But I'm not sure if it's freedom or restriction or boundaries or just trying to convince myself of the truth of what I'm saying. So to sum up, I don't actually know. But that's why we're all here, and that's why everybody's voices make a difference. We can listen and learn from each other. And I love that we have this opportunity in Roundtable. So over to you. What do you think? What does the word oath mean to you? And does it feel like a freedom or restriction? Or maybe something else? And go. Well, let's let's start. Uh, leave it there see what Karina has to say later and we'll we'll move over to Matt and Lila to uh, lead us in communion thanks everybody hey everybody good morning good morning <laughs> um yeah so when we were asked to do this I um, wanted to take an approach that I've been learning at, so I work at a, an independent school um, and in our devotions, we started doing this one kind of practice called Lectio Divina, which is a four-step approach to um, taking in scripture. And it's a lot more spirit-led rather than an analytical approach, which I really appreciated. Um, oftentimes it's repetitive in nature, so you're really just kind of sinking into the word. Um, but the four steps are that you read the scripture, um, that you meditate on it, then you pray and you contemplate it. So another way to describe it is that you take a bite, you chew, um, you savor it, and then you digest it. So um, yeah, so I thought I would read a passage to you. I'm going to read it a little bit slowly. 
Um, it has a lot of repetition in it. And then I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to just sort of absorb it. Um, then we'll pray. And then if you want to take your communion, you can do that afterwards as we digest the word together. All right, so I'm reading from Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and the ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies this. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. We're just going to take a moment to digest or to meditate on that. Jesus, I just, uh, we come to you this morning in gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for your one sacrifice that took the place and really was the only adequate sacrifice to uh, cover our sins. God, we just, um, we want to take this moment to honor that and to really remember that. Um, and God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit just move in us today. Um, that we just really 
fully con contemplate, fully understand the weight of your sacrifice for us. God, we love you so much. Amen. All right. And so as part of digesting, we can take our communion. All right, I'm passing it over to Matt and he is gonna pray for Karina once he's digested <laughs> for our message today. Thanks, hon. Um, I, I just wanna, just a quick shout out for Lila. I was, uh, when we talked about what, how we might approach communion, um, my thought was to talk about zombies and cannibalism. And so, <laughs> so just wanna, just, Thank you. That was <laughs> and um, I'm going to pray for Karina and Karina's going to take over. Um, yeah. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for Karina. Thank you for this church, Lord. The, and you know what? It's not really the church. It's, it's the people who are the church. And Father, thank you for um, putting in this place of love and acceptance and not just love and acceptance, but affirmation. Father, we pray that um, you'd be with Karina today, that uh, her words would be your words, that we, her message, your message would come clearly through what she has to say. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Jesus, we love you so much. Amen. Okay. Uh, we often have people in our home here on Sunday mornings when we're doing Zoom church, which if anybody wants to join the fun, let us know but we have all these like muting things that need to happen. So it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, someone just mentioned something about church calendars in the, in the room here. And I just wanted you to know, Oh, look, there we are. Everybody wave. Hello. Um, I just uh, wanted to let you know that we are working on having some Google, different Google calendars that you can subscribe to that will have Sunday services, youth events, young adult events, that kind of thing. Um, because we are trying to do something different and that means we can't, it's not as easy to put your brain on neutral and just go every Sunday, it's the same. So that's just a general announcement before we get to the sermon here. So, uh, and I'm gonna do the awkward thing of like trying to look at the people in the room here and then coming back to you. So there's nothing crazy going on. It's just, I got people here. So um, I thought maybe I should start with a warning. I don't know if what I'm going to do today is going to feel like really disruptive, but I thought it might be good to like be reminded that that um, pastors and church leaders don't have greater access to God than you, and that it is okay to disagree, and we can be friends even if you're wrong on certain things, or I might be wrong on certain things, and if we discover that, I hope we're really quickly to come around to whatever it is that's truer. And honestly, I mean, if Jesus can do it, and by that I mean learn from people inside and outside his community, I hope we can too. And then the last thing is I want to just invite you to consider that discomfort is often the path to transformation and liberation. So maybe if something feels hard or difficult, I give you permission, if you need that, to just notice what you're feeling and be kind, compassionate, and tender to those feelings. They're telling you that something in you wants attention, that something matters to you. 
So we're not here to gatekeep ideas. That's not, that's not the point. So with that, um, I just, uh, this week's lectionary had uh, something from, um, for Samuel, something from the Psalms, something from Hebrews, and then something from Matthew. And there is sort of this connectedness to them all. I don't always see it, but in this particular one, all four passages edge on the idea of covenants or oaths or the nature of God who makes covenants and oaths. So the truth is, though, I'm really better at like hyper-focusing on one pack passage than trying to find the hidden like Da Vinci code between them all. So, I mean, we've all got different talents. So there you go. Um, so yeah, Samuel, it talks about the vows of loyalty and love that Jonathan, David, Jonathan and David make to one another. The Psalms, it talks about God as sovereign. And um, if you do get a chance to, to read that, the book, uh, Women's Lectionary for the Whole Church, I really like especially Gaffney's treatment of the Psalms because she chooses to write God in the feminine. It's just this really gentle disruption to imagine things in a new way. But, you know, this Psalm talks about God as sovereign, the superlative of all that is and was and is to come. God is trustworthy. This is an excellent quality to have when it comes to making covenants. And then in Hebrew, we hear something that could be like there's kind of this covenant language that the writer of Hebrews is referring to that God speaks over Jesus, where it's, I will be your parent, you will be my child. That type of commitment and oath to God, from God to Jesus. But it's the text in Matthew that I want to focus on. So this is Gaffney's translation. Uh, and this is Jesus that's speaking here. And Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient days, you shall not swear falsely or break an oath, but carry out the vows you have made to the Holy One. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven for it's the throne of God or by the earth, for it's God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great sovereign. And do not swear by your head, for you're not able to make one hair black or white. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So there are some things about this translation that I really like. Gaffney highlights how this is not just talking about like good faith arrangements that get broken. So not just I will do this and then something happens that I can't do it, but also bad faith ones as well. You know, um, it's like where you say something, but you have no intention of making it happen. You're just, I don't know, avoiding conflict, something. Um, it's kind of the difference between like Wesley in The Princess Bride, where he says, as you wish, that's a good faith arrangement. He has every intention of keeping that promise. Um, but then there's like Prince Humperdinck in the same movie who says to Princess Buttercup, I swear it will be done. And um, it's for sure not going to be done. So basically, all your bases are covered here. Um, truthfully, I'm not as crazy about the ending that she chooses here for this passage where it says anything else is from the evil one. It's, it's not that it's bad or without precedence. Right, I, I went to the interwebs, fount of all knowledge, and well over half of English translations use this idea of the evil one. The other half just say something like it comes from evil or will result in evil. So I went to the interlinear 
Bible and uh, translation. And it seems to me you could go either way, but the sense that I got was it's like a way of evil that would emerge from the inside out. So the places that are disconnected from love will be revealed. So that's my invitation to you to think of it like this. If thinking about the evil one doesn't become this externalized, I have no control over about the evil coming from me because there's an evil one outside of me, maybe that's not that effective. Instead, um, I like to think of it like anything else, any other kind of vow will lead to a disconnection from love from which all evil flows. The other thing I noticed about this translation was her use of the use of the double emphatic. Yes, yes, and no, no. I don't know about you. I always heard it growing up. Um, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? And what I like about the yes, yes is it's a common literary device in the Bible and I'm sure other literature of the time. And it just states like a deep meaning or solid intent of it. It's not flippant or absent-minded. It's not like, oh yes, yes, whatever. It's like, no, like really and truly, yes. It's an expression of enthusiastic consent or well-boundaried limits. So right off the bat, Jesus isn't saying be flaky and wishy-washy instead of making covenants. But I mean, I will admit as a Canadian, it can, it can feel tricky to interpretate this translation of yes, yes, and no, no, because we've got all of our cultural stuff around how we say yes and yes and yes and no. So let me give you a Canadian translation to help us all figure this out. Do not swear at all, but rather just let your answer be yeah, no, for sure, or no, yeah, no, okay? So when I read this, it actually made me curious, though. What did covenants mean to the Jewish people? Because it's, it's, it's classic Jesus, right? You've heard it said. So it was so interesting to me to find out that the status quo around oaths and vows was generally like, they're a bad idea. But not just like people get upset when you don't keep them. But don't make oaths because people literally die when oaths don't get fulfilled. Whether they were broken intentionally or made in bad faith, death was the result, or maybe Josh would want me to say right now, death comes unexpectedly. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira. That's a bad faith oath for, for sure. I mean, okay, sorry, not sorry for the inside joke. You either had to be there when Casey preached a few weeks ago or have watched a lot of Disney movies to get the death comes unexpectedly. But I'm not gonna lie when I tell you that story and it's typical misinterpretation, if you don't mind me saying so, made me so, so afraid of what God would do to me if I ever screwed up on a promise or even had a moment's weakness. Traumatizing beliefs, guys. But the Jewish people believed that too. Don't say, I swear it will be done if you don't mean it. Another example is um, the story of Jephthah in Judges. Does it ever bother you that so many female names were not recorded? Ugh, patriarchy. I hate it that the daughter was never named when she bore the brunt of her father's stupid oath making. So when I think of this story, I actually like to name the daughter. I give you permission to do that. Um, I call her Yazakar, which means... God remembers. And that covenant that her father made cost her her life. Covenant consequences seem to offload responsibility from the perpetrator and instead creates harm for powerless victims. But I believe that God remembers 
and is tender towards those who have been the collateral damage of bad covenants. The sense I got from studying Daphne and then further looking into the Jewish cultural expectations around oaths and vows. Um, if you just stop and think about it for a minute, a lot of the messed up stories in the Bible, which is most of the stories in the Bible, a lot of them are around, are around someone somewhere breaking a vow or a covenant. So this fear over covenants was so entrenched in Jewish culture that they even had a special ceremony every year that would like let people call uncle on vows that they made accidentally, get out of oaths free cards. So here we are. Jesus is doing a classic Jesus move. You've heard it said, don't make oaths to each other and only keep the ones you make to God. But I say, don't make an oath about anything. And I think when Jesus goes on to talk about heaven and earth and Jerusalem, I think he's kind of saying, look, this is God's domain. God is the one who can make oaths. And God basically makes one oath over and over again in a hundred different ways. God's oath is, I am. I am with you. I am love. I am not going to abandon you. I am forgiving. I am. I am loving justice. I am loving truth. I am loving beauty. I am is God's oath. So instead, Jesus is saying, don't try and figure out the things that only God can hold, but just be solid about your yes and your no. Everything else that you might add to your yes or your no becomes a toxic additive or preservative. Keep it fresh, fam. Enthusiastic consent well-boundaried nose. Do you love um, those you've heard it said, but I tell you phrases? In this season of life, I've really noticed how often I internalized a message that really just traded one rule for another. And I'm not alone in this. I, I, think, it's, it's, I think it's this passage that we get the idea of affirming rather than swearing on the Bible when you give a testimony in court. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking the practice. But I wonder if we think Jesus is just saying, you've heard this rule, but I'm giving you a different rule instead. So we affirm instead of swear and think, there, we did it. And I wonder if Jesus isn't a little like, did you though? Did you really? Like, was Jesus really looking 2000 years into the creation, into the future, into the creation of Western law and thought, oh, gotta save those guys from swearing on the bible that doesn't even currently exist right now in this time when i'm living <laughs> jesus is rarely trading rules he's he's more into like smashing paradigms mm -hmm. so what is the great big shift that jesus is inviting us into where is the disruption that brings more justice truth and beauty to the earth because i think we can still make a lot of vows and covenants and oaths, and they still can cause death of all kinds to others, to ourselves and to the earth. Jesus is maybe saying something like this. Don't double down and complicate your yes and no. Don't elevate a promise or a deeply held belief over the people and places God loves. Pro tip, God loves the whole of the world. We've moved away from love and imagine ourselves to know more than we know when we participate in oaths 
and are willing to cause death for the sake of keeping the oath. There are three places I thought of where we can make oaths that don't bring life, but bring death. Um, so I'm gonna just offer an expansion on our ideas. So we've now entered into the sacred cow tipping portion of the service, brace yourselves. Maybe not, maybe, I don't know. But the first was in the area of two covenants that we're pretty prone to making in the Christian church. Uh, marriage and sometimes the ritual of baptism are considered covenants that we make with God. So here's the thing, if baptism becomes a transaction or membership fee for participating in other rituals and points of connection within our community, maybe we need to reevaluate re not the practice of baptism, but the way that we use that practice, the meaning we ascribe to it. Yes, be baptized. No, don't use it to elevate or diminish one another. Or marriage, this is a big one. So at the outset, let me be clear, I'm not saying that marriage or marriage ceremonies should not be a thing. I think a celebration of love and commitment to one another can be a beautiful thing. But far too often, people of Christian faith have elevated the covenant of marriage over the lived experience and the dignity and the value of those in those relationships, either by denying people the right to be married or even today, there are highly respected in some circles, Christian leaders that will tell usually women that they need to stay with their abusive partners for the sake of the covenant. And when we do this, we're aiding and abetting abuse. Marriage is great, but we can weaponize a cultural ideal and it can cause so much harm. I get that it's tricky, but sometimes ending a marriage and supporting those leaving marriages can be the best course of action and the pathway to more love and flourishing. I think even of the sage old advice I was given when I got married or that I, I just heard it last week given out um, at a wedding. Don't let divorce be an option. If that concept brings life and joy to your marriage, go for it do it. But I'm going to be honest for a moment. Josh and I have been married for almost 27 years. There has been in that 27 years, lots of better and worse, sickness and health, poverty and wealth. We took our vows very seriously when we made them way too young 27 years ago. But in the not too recent past, we found ourselves hopelessly stuck unable to connect and feel love from each other in these like chronic loops of rupture and hurt that we couldn't, despite our best intentions, moved past. Repair was elusive. Healing wasn't happening. And we had this non-option of divorce sitting over our heads. The hope of marriage being a lifelong covenant of joy and source of comfort had become golden handcuffs because we had no choice. And it wasn't until we put that option of not staying married on the table because we loved each other and we loved ourselves that things began to shift. We could talk through some decades long places of chronic misunderstanding because we had brought love, which always requires consent and choice back into the picture. 
we had to move away from a part that had become a curse so that we could find liberation in saying, no, we cannot continue to hurt one another like this, even though we don't mean to. And we need to find the yes for ourselves and for our relationship together. And I don't want you to take that as a prescriptive solve your marriage with this simple life hack, because sometimes it doesn't work out like that. But cutting ourselves loose from an oppressive paradigm created room for repair that looks like staying together for us. So by all means, celebrate your love with your partner by having a marriage celebration. Let it be an expression of your enthusiastic yes and boundary no's to one another. But maybe leave room in our Christian paradigms that not all marriages are best left together. Don't make an idol out of a covenant. So how's everybody doing? Enough cow tipping for one day? How about one more? <laughs> one place, just a little one, that I want to invite us to consider that we have made vows, maybe knowingly or unknowingly, is in the tenets of our faith itself, our doctrines, our theology. I wonder if it's okay to admit that all of this, all of our doctrine, all of our theology is a best guess. Maybe a well-educated guess, maybe one rooted in time and tradition, but we're talking about God, the ground of being, the source of life, the eternal presence and substance of love and life. And yes, we do have Jesus, God with skin on to look to, to understand the way, the nature and character of God with more clarity. But even that we can mess up. Think of how many people have been harmed at the hands of the church because we elevated our understanding of God and said it was God. And this allowed us to harm so many people in the name of God. We let our beliefs be our trump card, unintended, perchance. <laughs> I've heard it said, I would love to let women preach, teach, and lead, but the Bible clearly says, or I would love to be okay with the gays, but the Bible clearly says. Or we do things like say, well, Christians believe this. Communion is supposed to mean this. Baptism means this if you're Christian. And the implication is, are you with us or against us? And I think this might be the greater principle that Jesus is inviting us into. Pay attention to the hills you're willing to die on or sacrifice someone else on. Because although we might say it causes us some pain, I wish, I wish we could, but the Bible says. Like in the story of Jephthah, we often focus on the pain he was in from losing his daughter. But friends, he did not bear the brunt of his stupid decision. His daughter did. Yeah, the car was needlessly sacrificed. God remembers. In our beliefs, let's have a solid yes, yes to what we believe and a solid no, no to where we have boundaries. Go ahead and believe it. But I wonder if good theology has some humility built into it. In some ways, Jesus is letting us off the hook. Guys, no matter how hard you try, 
You can't know everything and control everything and be right about everything. God doesn't even try to control everything. That's just above our pay grade. Just have a good yes and a good no and make room for growth and change because that is what living things do. And that feels like good news for me. We can engage with curiosity. It lets us stay rooted and grounded in love rather than in our beliefs. And that good news feels grounded in the one hill I might be willing to die on. Love is the nature of God in the way of Jesus. The evidence of this spirit in us is love that is self-giving, other-centered, radically forgiving, and has incredible boundaries. It's not punitive or damning. And it's just like Jesus to take something complicated like oath-keeping and then elevate the idea to something so simple like just be clear on what your boundaries are. And like then like, guys, relax. Are you kidding me? That's like impossible. Oaths are way easier. It's so much easier to create us and them, to use fear and control and shame or avoidance to keep everyone in line. But maybe that's not God's highest priority. Can we maybe pause and look and notice where are we disconnecting from love? And can we return to the yes of God again? I'll tell you what, that is a paradigm I will have to work out with fear and trembling. Not because I'm afraid of God, but with an acute awareness that the impact of my beliefs, even well-intended beliefs, is real and it matters. Josh shared this quote with me from Anthony DeMello, and I think it fits really well here. It says, obedience keeps the rules. Love knows when to break them. And when it comes to our faith, Jesus is calling us out of a system rooted in rules and certainty that doubles down on interpretations and beliefs and makes them as good as God. And Jesus is saying, hey, your oaths are hurting you and hurting others. Would you lay down those beliefs, those weapons, and consider a life rooted in love? People thrive where there is safe and solid connection. So moving away from oaths into solid, open-handed consent and limits feels like freedom to me. It lets me loosen my grip when I'm presented with new information. Maybe in that paradigm, we can engage with curiosity when it's not a hill to die on. Rooted in love instead of grounded in our beliefs. Okay, so that is definitely enough cow tipping for one more morning. So in closing, I want to invite you, if you feel a yes towards it, to close your eyes, take a deep breath. Maybe in this moment, you might notice any body responses you might be having. You don't have to strive to find something. It's okay if this doesn't connect for you. That's allowed too. But if there is a place within you that feels especially alive or maybe is aching or tense, I invite you to put your hand there and breathe in again. And if you're not feeling it this morning, I want to assure you that that is totally okay and there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe this is a good moment to practice an open but solid no. 
we have different experiences here and we can still belong. But if you are finding something, I want you to see if you can find what love would say to you in that place. So there's three invitations for you this morning from that place. First of all, are there places there that are asking for a better boundary? One that values yourself or others in a different way? Is there a new way of relating that is more connected to love that says this far and no further? I can't participate in these systems or beliefs that are causing harm anymore, no matter what tradition says, or places in relationships where this far and no further. In that place, I hope you feel the nearness of God and a sense of deep love that is with you when you are considering how to work that out. Boundaries are expressions of love that allow for natural consequences and boy, can that be tricky. How do we do that without having to dehumanize the ones who need the boundaries? Maybe that's us. Maybe that's someone else. Doesn't matter. Don't dehumanize. <laughs> in those places, may you be rooted and grounded in love. May you notice the freedom that comes from a solid no. I invite you to breathe again. Maybe you can feel a place of pain or tension within you because you're holding on to some beliefs about yourself, others, or God that you've become so identified with that it feels like death to let it go. It's no small thing to tell the truth about the pain and disconnection that those beliefs have caused for you or for other people. What would it be like to consider a different perspective? Not so you can make a new oath, but to consider a different type of yes than you had before. What if God was safe enough to question, to doubt? Maybe you wanna invite Jesus to sit in the discomfort with you. Who knows what will happen? Maybe new ideas will break through. But whatever happens, my prayer for you is that you will find freedom in returning to the wide open and wild places where love flourishes. Breathe once more together. Maybe you have borne the collateral damage of bad covenants. Maybe you feel like the unnamed daughter of Jephthah. My hope is you would hear the spirit whisper, Yazakar, God remembers. God knows your name. May you become aware, maybe in a new way, of how God has suffered with you in your lived experience. They have cried with you. They've longed for people to choose love over a harmful law. And in this moment, may we all experience a remembering as God remembers us. Over all of these perspective lenses that I've invited you to consider, my great hope is that you would see a God who delights in you, who is not frustrated or ashamed of how very tricky and difficult it is to be human. And may you know the God who says in all things, I am. Lord, may we this week be grounded and rooted and established in your love. Um, may, may we walk in ways of humility and love. 
and may you lead us through every part of it. Amen.